the events industry is turning to virtual events to face the crisis generated by the COVID-19 pandemic and the massive cancellation of physical events. Events case wanted to support the industry by doing what it does best, putting technology at the forefront. You can now run virtual or hybrid events in minutes. There are no delays and no technical complications as we offer top-notch customer support along the way. With the new Smart TV interface in Events Case's agenda module for both the web and the event app, event participants can access different virtual sessions with ease. As the event organizer, you simply need to add the link of your favorite streaming or video conference supplier within each session. Adding a link enables a play button for each session. Interaction amongst online attendees is also possible since the Events Case platform supports Q&A, chat, and surveys in real time. Albeit from a distance, the networking is still fully supported within Events Case through the new video link function in our one-to-one -one meeting scheduler, as well as through private messages, news feeds, and forums. Events Case is an easy-to-use, global, modular, multi-language and secure event management software. Discover all of our products in www.eventscase.com. Hello everyone, welcome back to the Event Tech Talk Show. This is actually episode 8. And um, before we get started and before we get into this episode, two important pieces of information. So registration for Event Tech Live US and Canada is now open. You can go and register at eventtechlive.com or by scanning this handy QR code. Oh, there we go, in the corner. So if you want to scan that, that'll take you straight to registration. We have three levels of ticket, and we have VIP and hosted buyer tickets where you can get a refund on your ticket if you meet the criteria, and some general admission tickets. These guys, these are on offer on early bird up until the 15th of May. So if you're watching this now and listening to that before then, grab yourself a deal. Second important piece of information, entries are open for this year's Event Technology Awards. Um, there's information about the full list of categories, categories that represent the change in the industry over the last 12 months, so more virtual hybrid um, categories representing that, as well as some new interesting technology categories. So go out to eventtechnologyawards.co.uk and check out those and enter if you meet the criteria. Now, if you missed the last episode, which was episode seven, I spoke to Sam Allen on the importance of having a professional MC, virtual event host and moderator for your event. So you can go and check that now. It's on demand. It's on the Event Tech Live YouTube channel. It's on all the major pod podcasting networks, including Apple, Spotify and Google Podcasts. Or in fact, you can simply just type in eventtechtalks.com and that'll take you to the full schedule of previous episodes. On today's episode, I have two really interesting people with me, Oliver Rowe and Philip Mailing from Venue IQ, and they're going to be discussing me the crucial importance of content, having it front and center at virtual events, which ultimately attracts attendees and drives again uh, drives engagement. Get my words out right. Please feel free to interact and ask questions in the comments. Phil, Oliver, hello, welcome to the episode. How are you doing? Hi, Thank yeah, you for having us. No, thank you for being here. Um, before we get into today's episode, I always like to give people kind of a background history, what you guys, how you guys came into the events, how you ended up being one of those preferred virtual and hybrid event suppliers out there. So how did the company get started? How, did, how was Venue IQ formed? Sure. So I'll, I'll go with that one as there's two of us. Um, so we... Uh, I've been in software for a long time as, as a business. We started off with a CRM product. Um, so we really learned how databases, how data systems work, how to build technology. Um, and that kind of came out of a need at the time. 
um, for a, a specific um, use of, of a CRM, uh, which everyone will, will be aware of, uh, of, of what that's for. And then we started looking at, um, uh, at the event industry and we looked at, originally at tracking. So uh, you, might, you may have seen our, our sort of Bluetooth tracking product, but we quickly realized that uh, to kind of get delegates buy in to use the, the sort of Bluetooth tracking solutions and the, the badges and things that we, we pr produce, we had a really good interface for them so they could get some useful information, some useful data out of it. So we entered the world of apps. Um, we um, started providing that. Uh, to uh, corporate organizations, to event organizers. Um, we won some awards for it, which was great for um, integrating some AI technology into it for matchmaking, uh, for the Bluetooth tracking so people can, uh, B2B events could go and hunt down their targets and see where each other are if they've uh, uh, chosen to share the location and things. So that's really where 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 the business started. Um, and then it's kind of grown from there. We went absolutely nuts at the start of last year and the end of the previous year off the back of a few award wins. I think our name started to get a, a bit more known, even though we've been sort of around for four or five years or so now um, in, in the space. Uh, and that really uh, erupted for us. And then obviously uh, COVID happened in, in March. And for a very long time, uh, we'd talked about doing a, a web portal, building a web portal onto our platform, but literally no one wanted it. <laughs> no one was that interested in it. Everyone wanted apps, everyone wanted tracking. Um, and then obviously with COVID hitting, uh, we already had the, the nuts and bolts of our, our back end. And, and so we set our dev team who were no longer delivering events because it had all been, been paused to uh, really build out a, a very rich um, virtual platform. But we tried to keep our eye on the ball with the fact that eventually events will return in some way, shape or form. And how can the technology that we build uh, enhance that and help that? So obviously now we're, we're probably referring to it as, as hybrid events. Um, where there's some element of of uh, live and and virtual audience, which I think is where it's going to be for some time, if not if not potentially forever now, um, and and that's really that's really where we came from. Uh, I don't know if Phil's going to add to that. No, so it's, it's been a, a roller coaster ride because all of our you know sort of you build up where we're probably doing even better than we were um, uh, at the start of uh, start of last year with a product that. You know, an element of our product that didn't exist um, probably come the middle of last year. So it's it's very quickly um, been something that we've had to um, develop and get out there. And I know, you know, like so many other people, but building it's almost like building an entire um, new product, new business um, through there. And obviously, had a lot of success with that, which has been great. Work with some great names, um, and you know, the, the big thing um, that we've gone through really is, is the importance of, I suppose it comes back to today, the importance of, of content. And I think content is essential to everything that we do, be it uh, apps, be it the, the track, even when we, you know, the tracking, hopefully, um, well, we already got some some people starting to look to come back with physical events on, on tracking. But even then the key data we were returning was who was going to consume what content, feeding that back to the AI matchmaking engines and, and so on and so forth. So content has always been and continues to be absolute center to, to, to giving data for who's consumed what content and also giving people the ability to, to consume content. Yeah, and that's driven everything we've built basically from from day one, really, because I think we started off looking at why do we go to events as, as, as business owners? What what in our, uh, you know, previous businesses, what what drives that? And it is who are you going to see? And then off the back of that in a live event, that then drives the engagement. You meet people that have been at the same event as you or the same session as you. Uh, you you know exchange the old 
you know, do you remember those things called business cards in the old days when you could, you know, shake hands and, and you know, pass things to each other? So it's ha- we've tried to, I guess, come up with as much of a technological answer to all those uh, physical touch points as we can uh, with everything we've built out, but trying to make sure it's future proof as well, as much as we yeah. can see forward. I, th- I think you're in a really interesting place because there's no there's no doubt is that, that there has been not only explo- an explosion of virtual events happening over the last 12 months to so, but also a, an explosion of quote-unquote virtual event providers, all coming yeah. in from different angles. Um, but funnily and interestingly enough, in a transition back to hybrid, I question how relevant they are going to be to what I class as the professional organizer community. So they're not companies or corporates or, or kind of individuals who maybe use events in a, in a way to market their business, their B2B, their companies like, I guess, Event Tech Live and AMP Events who do this as a business income, so they produce events mm-hmm. for business outcome. Now, my the transition back to, to, to physical events and, and that hybrid element how many of those companies are going to have all of that technology that you developed pre-COVID in place, ready to go. So it's a unified experience across everything. The data is unified. You're not using multiple vendors for different elements of the event processings. The experience possibly from the delegate perspective is also unified as well. They can use Venue IQ online pre-event, post-event, and then the same tools and technology, the apps and things like that back to the event yeah and, and, and the streaming often we're obviously we're off doing the streaming in i'd say over 60 percent of cases now the actual you know sort of delivery albeit once you go back to physical that's gonna you start to get to a, a place where the big the big boys in terms of um streaming organizations and everything get back involved yeah, maybe so, and I'm not sure a company like yours wants to get involved no. in the involved. <laughs> yeah, yeah, back out, back out slowly from that. Yeah. <laughs> It'd be easier just to let let, let the, the it's a different it's a totally different yeah. animal. Let the AV let the AV guys just give us a give give us a feed. That's all we That's want. It. That's it. We'll be happy. <laughs> That's it. So onto today's uh, uh, onto today's podcast and episode. You know, like you said, content's been part and front and center. But it's interesting that virtual, it seems to have had this like weird kind of transition evolution, people trying different things, you know, mm. networking front and center and content more kind of like to the back. And like, what's one of the key, what's the key things that you've seen over the last 12 months where people, I, I guess I'd ask you, what have people done right? And what have people done wrong? Can you give, can you give those two examples? Yeah, I think I think the first thing is understanding the drivers that uh, have led a lot of the organisers, and certainly the early stage. Um, they, especially the free to attend events, where you know they've got um, uh, a number of delegates to get through the door to sort of split, please the sponsors or the exhibitors. And I think in the in the short term, I think everyone thought, what do we do? You know, how do we make sure that sponsors get some value still? And I think there was a, a worry that they're probably was maybe not the same amount of value to a, a virtual event than a, a live event. So I think that drove a lot of the behavior to go, well, what do sponsors want? So sponsors want to meet people. They want to network with people. They want leads. They want um, uh, they want to uh, sell their product to everyone. And I think that probably led to the whole, uh, you know, networking before content. Uh, and I think it led to some interesting content choices i think some of it was probably ended up being a bit death by powerpoint i think it was literally just um you know a, 
the Zoom call basically that, that people might be watching and obviously some of the early events for, you know, needs must for most of it was was literally done on things like, uh, uh, you know, streaming platforms like um, Zoom and things. I think what we've seen is that um, organizers definitely realized very quickly that, you know, having an hour long, two hour session of a sponsor preaching at, uh, at the audience maybe didn't work, it didn't drive, it wasn't interesting. And I think that's where we stuck to our guns really with all of this and, and kept that content piece absolutely center. It's the first thing you see when you log in, you know, what's going on, you add things to your agenda, you, you choose what you're going to engage with and then use that information to drive engagement. So whether that's within side of the uh, session itself, so whether it's a poll or a group chat or um, Q&A, um, or maybe it's um, a sponsor advertising themselves as you know, sponsoring this particular session or whatever. I think that really has changed up a lot now. I think people are more savvy to it. I think people are now spending more time pushing their content and making sure their content is really, really uh, key, whether that's they're hiring out physical studios rather than just doing it over a, a chat, although obviously lockdown doesn't always allow that when that happens. Um, but I think they really have up the game on, on how they deliver that content. And by making that front and center, it should then drive engagement and make people turn up. And I think the events that do that, we see a much higher attendance rate. I think the ones that focus on shorter sessions, so, you know, 20 to 30 minute sessions, keep the attention of the audience much faster. And I think as well, those are the ones that we've seen with our customers, the higher level of engagement. So, uh, you know, the, the, the sponsors that spam out 200, 300, 400 messages to people and just annoy them will get nowhere. But it is equivalent to the live Sitting there with, uh, I remember one of the first events at Live we did when those uh, uh, widget things, the spinning widget things were, were, were being given away by people. It's like they're not leads. It's not valuable. It's, it's just a waste of everyone's time. Uh, you can't do it online, really. So people will go, ah, oh, this is boring, and turn off. Or they'll go, ah, oh, they're trying to flog something to me that I don't want, and they'll turn off. And I think because we're now able to use the data behind, you know, oh, Adam Parry has watched his session. Therefore, because I'm the sponsor of the session, it's probably worthwhile me having a chat with Adam because I know he's watched 19 of our 25 minutes. So he obviously didn't get too bored. I think that's that that data suddenly becomes massively valuable. Actually, you could argue more valuable than the in-person data where people just come because you've got free coffee or free beer on your, on your stand. Um, yeah, I'll just give I'll just give a couple of specifics that just from, from my point of view, um, I think when it first started, people tried to use the the sort of physical paradigm in, in the virtual space. So it was mm. come to our virtual booth, um, you know, where you know, people will be sitting for you to talk to. And I think people ended up taking the same sort of money or charging the same sort of money, trying to replicate the physical experience online. It just didn't it didn't work. Um, well, I'm sure there's the odd case that people had some success. But generally, what what we found is, is that didn't work. What? Um, what really worked um, that people have done well is um, realizing that if you're an online event, most of your or a large portion of the people consuming the content might watch it on demand. Um, you know, there's not the urgency of you have to be at the event time and, and sort of taking that into account in the way that they're um, producing the content. Um, and as Oliver says, I think um, where we've seen people do very well, you've got to be careful here. You don't just treat events as, as one huge um, segment. Um, you know, cause it can be different whether you're an association or a corporate or, or like AMP running, um, you know, an, an event as a, as a B2B 
um, uh, the, the area. Um, but I think looking at the format, so using fireside chats versus presentations, keynotes, where people just put their PowerPoint up and, and read it out to you for, for 30 minutes, um, is nowhere near as effective as sort of the, the sort of more human interest, human interaction, fireside chat, podcasty type uh, format. That'd be my key, the key things that I, I think I picked up from seeing various people do this in different ways. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And it's really interesting from my perspective, because arguably from, let's say, conferences, you could argue that pretty much the biggest reason that everybody's there is to kind of learn something from the presenters. So I've seen many conferences kind of go down the route of having relatively good feedback, maybe some technical issues, maybe some it's it's not as good as the physical event, but we know why that is because there's just elements of a physical event that you can't replicate online. The beers at the bar, the the the, the networking in the aisles, or the you know all those things that kind of go around that are just serendipitous and you just you just can't replicate online in the same way and they've done really well because people are turning up to just maybe watch presentations or people speak hmm. however what i think the trade show world fell into is all of a sudden they became conferences they hmm. became conferences of back-to-back -back presentations long-form presentations which in, in hmm. even in the real world are really hard to kind of pay attention to i'm seeing that same transition of okay like what can we do these exhibitors in trade shows what do they do they come to network with visitors they come to network with their peers in the industry so let's change the format let's stop doing solo presentations and let's start doing q a sessions or sessions like this because that facilitates more interaction from an audience even they're not if they're not physically participating in that session let's do roundtables and workshops take the same content that you would probably present but let's open it up to get the audience involved in that content so they can have a voice they can feel more part of it and in nothing else, it helps build relationships between those exhibitors and that audience in a meaningful way that like they literally would at a physical event. Mm -hmm. um, totally with you as well, Phil, on uh, Philip, sorry, on the on the kind of the, the content time span. You know, I've got the attention span of, a, of, of TikTok at the moment, it seems like I can, I can, funnily enough, I can get through an hour of TikToks, but put an hour of Netflix in front of me and I'm falling asleep on the show. Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I think that's also, I'm not saying that we're going to see event sessions go the way of TikTok, but <laughs> short, sharp sessions do allow people to almost feel non-committed and, and I'll, I'll watch 20 minutes. That's fine. I can then go and do something else, do a networking session, do a other piece mm -hmm. of content, refresh my mind. And that seems to be the way that, that people are getting more value out I of the think it's that It's that time bar, isn't it? And a physical event... The audience doesn't have control of the of the of the, the, the time bar. I can't mm -hmm. suddenly say this section's boring. I want to go on to, you know, I want, I'm going to scrub through this and see if I can get there. But the easy in the hands, and and, and as we say, you know, s s above sixty, police over seventy percent in the more recent ones of the content is watched on demand on events mm -hmm. that, yeah. that we come across. And obviously, it's a much longer time span, right? Because a lot of people are leaving conferences open for for two weeks. Um, you know, four weeks, but the ones we've seen that have been really successful is they've gone afterwards and even put little breaks to where, you know, so, at, at, you know, a bit like you get on good YouTube channels where at two minutes, does this been mentioned at five minutes, this topic and, and quite often people will, they'll go in, have a look at that. They might then go straight to something they like. And if they like that, they might then rewind and watch the whole thing. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. they've got control over it and to, to hide the fact they've got control over it, 
he's 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 you know you're sort of fighting a losing battle you've got to understand that that is how they're going to consume yeah. and let them have more chance to consume it i think there's been a massive shift as well between like early days everyone was obsessed with everything has to be live because the conference is always live and the amount of um uh, you know, down in the trenches with our customers where they're, you know, desperately trying to make sure it's live. And then, you know, because people are at home and life gets in the way and stuff, you know, uh, you know, kids walking into rooms and things like that when one of their speakers is trying to do a, a conference or whatever. I think they, I think content that can be given and pre-recorded and ready uh, is one of the big things to, to virtual, but that doesn't have to end in, in, in hybrid either. I think, I think the, the, the content, um, the ability to make the content even better when elements of it are pre-recorded, then maybe bring in live for Q and A or, or whatever it might be, uh, or even uh, we have some customers that will have um, clearly pre-recorded contract content, but then they'll have the actual uh, sponsors, representatives, or exhibitors, representatives, or whoever it might be, um, actually in the session chat, chatting live as it, as it's going out. But there's so much of it is watched, um, you know, outside of it. I think Adam, when I did something on your event set live event last year. I think if we'd done the same session at the physical event, I think there would, would have been maybe 75 people watching if all the seats happened to be full. And I'm, I'm sure I don't have that much pull. Um, but let's say they were, you know, um, I'd, look at it, it out, yeah. Yeah, I'd look at it and think, wow, that's been a great session, you know, uh, but I don't know who any of those people are. Um, you know, it may be, uh, it may be um, some really good potential prospects for our business. It may be some people that are interested, maybe some students, it may be some uh, uh, it may be rent a crowd. It could be. It could be anything. I just don't know. But online, I think that same session that we did, I think it was a couple hundred people watched it. Well, firstly, that's more chance that people have seen our content as as a, as a exhibitor as we were there. Um, there's more chance that it was to relevant people, um, and it's more than we could actually ever fit into that live venue. And then I'm sure that things get watched then further on. And we hear that time and time again from our customers. I know. I know. You had it, Adam, where you have um, an, an exhibitor come in any sort of the industries that we deal with who would never have come to the, even the UK to, to, to take part in it because of the cost maybe to them. Uh, a lot of them have had first-time exhibitors, and a lot of them have had massive increases in the delegate numbers because of the, and it's all content-led, you know, whether it's they've got an MP speaking or whether they've got, you know, a really interesting, you know, uh, uh, key person from like a Facebook or something like that, you know, a, a big massive brand. I think that really does then get people to go, oh, hang on a second, I will spend the hour or half an hour or whatever it might be to watch that bit of content. Because they're going through a platform, because they're going through, a, you know, uh, someone like like us or one of our um, competitors, it's it suddenly opens up a whole new audience to them beyond just that one or two or three days of the live event. I think that's really what uh, the organisers have to grasp onto and 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 they can actually deliver more value for the uh, exhibitors and the sponsors than probably just that sort of very narrow couple of days. And then, you know, pre-event comms, post-event comms, and they forget about it for a year. And, just, and just, just to add on to that very, very quickly is quite often we get people wanting that content to use outside of the event. Yeah, and if yeah. you actually worked out, what would you pay? What would you pay for like an emceed 20-minute promotional video if you've got a company in to do it and compared that to the cost of going to an event or you know sponsorship at an event mm -hmm. it's, you know, it's it's minimal and and yet they're able to not only use it at the event but to say well can we have that content afterwards to share on our you know once the event's passed and the top you know the sort of the, the exclusivity time's gone that we can reuse on our website on our mailings on our you know on our marketing on our pr um 
and the value a, continues on. And that's a that's a symbiotic relationship between the exhibitor, sponsor, speaker, and the organizer as well, because there's going to be some kind of communication probably that carries on there after the event. I know I know many organizers are trying to leverage revenue for for their kind of content, but I think, like you said, Philip, it's, it's probably fair to say, well, this is gated content and a revenue stream for a certain period of time. You know, maybe that's six months or something like that. Mm. But then, if you, as the exhibitor, a sponsor, or speaker, then can take that and kind of also promote it. And that's branding and exposure mm. even furthermore for the actual organizer of their event and the fact that that content existed or was first broadcast or, or spoken about at that event. So that's it's a very two-way street that I think, mm. I, I'm, I, I hate to say it, I think most organizers are probably going to try and lock their content off forever yes, and yes. a day. We've, we do have ours gated at Event Tech Live, but anybody that's requested it, we've, we've happily handed that content over because that's that's sure marketing, that's exposure for everybody else that was involved in in that event as, as far as we can see. But that, that really brings me to a really interesting question though. If six, if I can't remember what the uh, statistic was, it 40 or 60 percent of this content. 60, 70 percent, yeah. If that, if that is watched outside of the event and others maybe the traditional trade show exhibition kind of led event what's your advice or, or what's your thoughts on how we can position that so everybody still gets value even if those even if those individuals are watching that content on demand because ultimately in this environment events are lead generation opportunities aren't they they're, they're about mm -hmm. meetings they're about mm -hmm. demos they're about connections they're about lead capture that kind of stuff and that takes place over generally a couple of days maybe two three days depending on the event how how, are you, how do you see it, even as an exhibitor, where do you think as event organizers we can get better about making sure that value still exists, even if people are watching on demand? Yeah, I think, yeah, I think very quick for me then, can give I mean, for me, I think it's the, obviously you've got the interaction whilst the event's going on, the chat, the Q&A, the polling, that, 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 and as Oliver says, some of the best people we see you'll actually see a representative of the company that might be involved in it or speaking um, you know, within the chat whilst it's going on to deal with any, any questions or queries. Um, I think the thing that I often find hard when I'm attending events is the ability if I'm watching on demand to then say I have a question, I have something for a speaker to make it easier um, you know, to get in touch with them afterwards. I think this... Um, this ability that once the event's gone and it's almost, you know, people are there to watch content, but you're not going to have as many people online to deal with chats or, you know, meetings or, 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 or whatever else is, is how do I easily get in touch if there's a conversation that I want to keep having with either somebody speaking or organization speaking. Um, and I think, you know, everything's pointed towards getting in touch through the platform, which is great. It's what we want to encourage as platforms. But I think once people are watching on demand, how do we give them that 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 route out is is something that we've been we've been working pretty hard on oliver do you have anything to add to that yeah i think it's it's going to be an interesting one for organizers to look at how their event runs so you know as you said adam you've got two one two three days for a typical let's talk about b2b events first i think corporate is a little bit different because uh, corporate events is normally they've invited their staff or um, you know key accounts or whatever, and it normally has a much higher uptake than a free to attend B two B or consumer event in terms of percentages of people attending. Um, but I think 
if you look at some of the stuff that's come out, I know LinkedIn's done a lot of research that's been published recently. I think what was the number? 75% of organizers are, 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 agree that they're going to have a bigger, I think it's careful we get this right because organizers have already had digital elements of their events for years. We're talking specifically here about a extended digital version, if you like, of their event for a number of reasons. One, because they want to get you know, maximum bang for their buck, for the sponsors are good to themselves and for their delegates. Um, but two, because there is genuinely going to be a physical reason why certain people won't be able to attend for years to come. You know, whether it's they can't have a vaccine, whether it's they can, but they're still not healthy enough. Maybe they're just not, um, maybe they're just not uh, comfortable with travel, you know, still for whatever reason. And there's going to be all these things at play. And I know that will worry a lot of organisers out there. But technology, as Philip said, we've been working really hard since we built the website of our, our platform uh, last year from, you know, nothing to, to what it is now. Um, I think as long as organisers have a really solid platform where everything is one ecosystem. So it's not lots of things bolted in together and held together by a shoestring. It's actually been, which we've all seen, um, it's, it, it's you know, the experience on the app for the live um, in-person people and the experience online or the app for people that are virtual. And it's clear that Adam is virtual and Oliver is live. So we know how to interact with each other um, and that the platform does that element for them. And then a way of ensuring that the event is Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, for argument's sake. But actually beyond that is other ways to connect with other people, with other exhibitors. And it's about giving exhibitors and sponsors access to those tools as well. Because quite often, organisers will shut out the um, exhibitors from delegate lists or things, and it becomes a very, uh, for, for good reasons as well, because we talked about spam messages and things earlier. Mm -hmm. I think, I think, exhibitors have a role to play in this with making sure they don't uh, take the proverbial with uh, spamming all the customers uh, that are attending the event because they will just turn people off but that the organizers help advise their exhibitors that yeah you do need to get into this round table or, or you do need to get into um, hosting some content because actually that's yes we've got virtual ex exhibition stands and you can have sponsor reps and people can come and do a one-to-one -one video chat but when it's online or more online or there's an element of online, the introverted people are going to be like a hundred times introverted online. They won't load a picture. They won't load any contact details. They'll literally hide. Uh, they won't go and reach out. Whereas in the real world, you or I probably would have grabbed them and gone, Oh, you, you've glanced at our stand. Let's, let's chat. You, can, you can't so much do that online, but what we can do is we can provide the data for the organizers who they might, if they've got the correct, you know, privacy rules and things with their with their delegates, they might then be able to share with their sponsors and exhibitors say, you know, these 20 people have actually looked at your content and looked at your stand and downloaded your thought leadership piece or your white paper, or whatever it might be. And they are so more, so far more valuable things to have than, oh, that guy over there, he's drunk 10 of our beers today at our exhibition stands. I don't really know what he's, I had a nice chat with him. I wasted an hour of my time, but I'll never hear from him again. Yeah. yeah. I think, I think that's, that's, something that I think they've really got to uh, focus on. But I, I, I still firmly believe that if they get the content right and the reason to go right, then the engagement comes with that. Yeah. Whereas if you surround the delegates like a pack of sharks and trying to, you know, everyone's trying to grab them for something, you don't even know at that point if they're interested in, in you at all. You put it really eloquently, mate. I think you said wolves at a sleazy nightclub was the analogy. <laughs> <laughs> you, are, you are right. And, 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 you know, it's really interesting. 
we unfortunately, I won't name any names, but we saw that copy-paste approach to outreach of delegates. You know, mm. you said you want a virtual platform. We have the best virtual platform on the planet. No personalization, no no, no level of interest, not even a reference to another customer that they might jointly know or work with or anything mm. like that. And th- those outreach things do fall on deaf ears because that's not only one person that's doing that. It's probably 50 people that are doing yeah. that and, and, and you're just getting that same message. When it comes to the value, though, from a content perspective, you know, content as an exhibitor, if you've got content in there and that's then, you know, you've got some visibility on those attendees, that content being front and center in that audience, even if that person doesn't necessarily want to have a one-to-one call with you, long tail after the event, you've had that visibility. There's been a Mm -hmm. level of interest there. So there are other forms, means and ways that you can follow up with those people or or try and nurture that Mm -hmm. that interest there post event. I think, you know, information or lead capture around content of, of, of other types of content, not just video and live streaming content, but data statistics white papers insight reportings all, all these kind of things are yeah. things that people love to download and pass yeah. over their information for because then they just don't know whether they're going to need yeah. that right then and that's the important thing in in the platform as well i think it it, it should be easier to pass off of that information right because yeah. you're not having to you're already through the gate we already know who you are um you're not like it's not that oh i've got to enter some more info into this linkedin uh, you know uh, form or whatever um, even though LinkedIn already knows who you are, but they want to do a double check. You, you don't really have to do that in a platform because you've already agreed to all the terms, you've already agreed to the organizers' um, privacy policies and GDPR policies and all that kind of stuff. So your data is protected as far as you've checked as an individual and as far as the organizer's responsibility will be through through those various rules. But I think it should, it should drive better behaviors from uh, the exhibitors because you know, we have some uh, customers that will shut off the attendee list from exhibitors so they can't see it at all. So they're solely reliant on that point um, for the attendees to go to the exhibitor. The problem with that is, is then the exhibitor turn around and go, oh, I've had really low engagement because in their mind, they've not been able to spam a load of messages. And I think it's, you know, and I, I, I forget who put out, but I love reading all the statistics of different platforms and their experiences. But um, I saw uh, some stats on that the other day that said, you know, uh, a significant proportion of um, exhibitor messages to attendees go unanswered and vice versa, even worse. I think the number the other way around. And it's like, can you imagine? That's like just not being on your stand at a live event. That's just like the guys who were across the road from us at Event Tech Live who had a bit of a heavy night at the award ceremony didn't turn up the next day. We thought it was hilarious because they didn't rock up till about 10.30 in the morning. But obviously... Like their boss probably would have fired them. Like it's yeah. it's, but online again, it's not just the delegates that can hide; it's the exhibitor sales reps that hide as well. And I think it's easy to go, it's the platform. No, no, no. It's probably a mix of the content was bad. You didn't attend. You didn't respond. Uh, you weren't there when you were supposed to be, or you haven't. Uh, you know the amount of times you see um, data flow in very very last minute from exhibitors who've paid a lot of money uh, to platforms. Uh, you know, to the to the organisers to put their stuff on the platform, and all they've got is a name and a logo, and they wonder why they get no leads. Or, or it's not that type of event. Yeah, you can have it where you just eat, like we do a, a lot of our businesses associations. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the sponsors still think they're going to get all hot and heavy, and it just it just isn't that that crowd. They're more there. Mm. It's more like you know, the use of television advertising or or branding on a website or or, or whatever. You're not you have different ways of of pushing your product your brand and it might be that 
the sale just isn't there. To say, and if it's not that kind of event, you know, and I think a lot of this comes down to comms with the with the with the sponsors. Um, you know, you wouldn't dream of putting on an event without the pre-event comms, including directions to the physical <laughs> event, right? The number of times we see people sending things out where they just don't, there just isn't a guide to how the platform's going to work. You know, I don't care what virtual event platforms say. Number one uh, support query is I can't log in. I can't find <laughs> my login details. I can't log in. Whoever you are, number one. Um, so the ability that you're actually going to signpost, this is how you're going to be successful, some pre-event comms that might set it out over a period of time. Here's some tips. We might have a webinar that you can come to where you can learn to get that. And pe people just, it's almost like it's just, we have an event at the Truman Brewery. We're not going to tell you where it is. We'll expect you to Google it. Uh, we're not going to tell you what, you know, we might tell you sort of what time it starts, but we're not going to tell you anything about anyone who's coming. It's just, if you'd like to, it just won't work. And, and you've got to almost more so on, on, on digital because people, People do ignore emails. People, you know, don't quite read them properly. You know, you, you've got to, you've got to have that comms piece. Yeah, yeah, it's it's so it's so important. I think you've hit some nails on the head. Like this time round for Event Tech Live, we've learned some things. You know, we not only do we we still had our exhibitor masterclass, which was recorded, so, um, as well as being live, so people could ask questions and watch it at their own leisure if they wanted to. But we're having one this time for speakers and for, for visitors as well. Right. It's it's interesting how we just expect visitors to be able to figure it out. And we only open the doors to them generally in, in the lead up to the event. So yeah. they they might and they might be experiencing multiple different vendors and platforms. So it all works slightly differently. And I don't think any other software or, or on this planet would expect everybody to get something in such a short period of time in terms of how the functionality works. But that plays back into content. That should be a part of every event's content, right? Mm -hmm. here's, an here's an exhibit, a sponsor day. Here's a, here's a visitor uh, open day. Here's a, here's a speaker open day. That can actually be part of the content in the lead up to the actual mm -hmm. event going live so that people can start to network, connect, and, and actually see how things, how to get the best from the actual event itself. Um, and it, it's it's interesting how we seem to have gone the other way, which is like right, the event's happening now. Off you like come in, let's let's yeah, get, yeah. let's, do it. let's yeah. get going. But that's what but, people people always underestimate the labour element of putting on. I mean, a physical event you sort of you, you, you can plan it a little bit, but the big thing we have is people come into virtual events or people starting to plan hybrid events, and they don't realise the sort of I say manpower, people power that's needed to um, to 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 put onto the, you know, to, to, to populate a platform, to, 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 to write those comms, to plan those comms. Um, and I think it's, you know, when, when, when we, you know, we've got a number of people that run like more full-time communities on our platform and, you know, that's a, that's a whole other beast in itself. And I think when people, a lot, a lot, a lot of uh, people you speak to just about, you know, they struggle to get them the, the, the power, the, the people power to, to actually populate a, um, you know, a, a conference the last three days, let alone, run a community and, and and those type of and i just think people always underestimate that sort of the, the amount of work that goes into it and and don't put it in and then suddenly it gets to the day before and you know comms packages haven't gone out and people aren't able to find the support that they want and you haven't properly you know you haven't even shown the sponsor what they're getting um you know there hasn't even been that and i think that that just so often that falls down and this is i'm going to be very controversial here this is the major problem with the events industry. 
The salesperson does the deal. The operations deals with the nitty gritty of stand, build, design, or the sponsorship. Um, if it's a conference, what what's getting done there? Are not responsible for customer service, so sometimes <laughs> can upset people. Um, and, and I'm not I'm not going to lie. I think my operations team have upset one or two customers along the way, probably at Event Tech Live. But funnily enough, a tech company, there's always somebody involved in customer success, right? Like yeah. that is a title of many software companies. Yeah. Is once the salesperson has sold them, and before yeah. they've got to doing what they need to do. There is a customer success team in place yeah. to be that handholding part all the way through so the sales team can get on with their job before they get to the actual, I need to use this now and I don't know how to use it. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll see that in the events industry? Do you think we'll see customer success teams come into play to be that bridge between sales and operations and stuff? So we're, I mean, very quick, it'd be interesting to see as we, as we move back into physical um, and people actually having to put those teams in place themselves. It's very difficult for them to get a, a payback, right? What, mm-hmm. what 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 we're seeing is, well, they will get payback. It's very difficult to get a, an immediate signposted pay, you know, to think salesperson sells this, operations person does this, you know, this role's a bit a bit more woolly until you, you have to embrace it. What we're finding is a lot of people leveraging our teams. Mm-hmm. So more and more we're finding, you know, so so that they'll want to they'll want to have dedicated virtual support so you know the little chat bot mm. they don't want it to appear we will respond in 24 hours yeah. you know which you get on quite a lot it's literally within two three minutes helping people um emailing directly into the support box you know we've done you know we did an event for a large association that was six, I think it was 18 concurrent streams wasn't it for three yeah. days uh one after another after another after another and we had yeah we were like even leveraging our team to do speaker management and yeah. And, and actually manage the I yeah, know nightmare all the rooms, yeah. but that's more where they're sort of going. Well, we can see a value in extending the relationship with the provider to do it, and it, and I think that's going to be an interesting balance when it becomes more physical. Is are they going to take those teams? Um, mm. Are they going to take those teams for the event organizer, or whether you be an association or a corporate or a for profit event, um, or are you going to leverage the partners that you've built? through virtual to bring in that 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 specialism i would i would say that presents a great opportunity for you as as software providers i know you probably started out just hopefully selling software right and and sitting in a broom cupboard trying not to talk to people developing those all those great new features coming out and, and selling more licenses and things like that but the events industry is slightly different in the sense that it just put a high high value on service and support Mm. and 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 in most cases people are very willing to pay for it if you ask them for it and you just say yeah. i forgot to put somebody on to this there's a day rate that, that that's actually how the entire events industry is operated everybody's on a day rate and yeah. that's how we put events together but that presents i know what you've just said there is absolute fact because just before we started recording this i had a conversation with a very large organizer who was like i'm being approached left right and center by companies who are telling me that they can offer me support on the platforms that i'm using but I, he said, I will happily pay more to my provider knowing that the book stops with them and yeah. they absolutely know how their platform works yeah. and, 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 and I'm happy to invest that. So people are actually willing to pay more than where it may be offered elsewhere. Um, and I guess that's, that goes across content then. So maybe there's a venue IQ kind of MC host uh, arm and a, yeah. and a yeah. delegate customer success arm. I, th- I think that's great. I think if companies like yourself are kind of moving that way, 
that that narrows down the amount of people that an event organizer is having to deal with. It's a more integrated kind of approach. You guys should get bookings and, and kind of sign off much, much earlier in the process. And hopefully even maybe, you know, keep and, and absolutely will keep customers much, much longer because then you're not just a platform provider, you're an extension of their team that's helping yeah. them to deliver yeah. that content and that event and stuff like that. Yeah, I think when we've gone, when we've gone back to um, look at how clients have genuinely felt about us and uh, I think we've published a few of the case studies and things, obviously in the early days, days of uh, COVID, you know, it was a very big scrap to, you know, we just find a provider, just do it, just, just get it done. And almost without, I think, exception, the biggest thing that people have said in feedback to us is the difference we made was that service because I think the amount of times uh, that the sort of wider sales team for us have, have come back and gone, they're dealing with this company, they're well known, and they're just not getting any service. They're just literally getting left to it. Now, you know, that would be a li- the, the, the real life equivalent would be uh, rocking up at Event Tech Live and Adam, you having to build all the stands and put in the AV and do everything. That is the equivalent of it um, for the sort of virtual event. And then when hybrid comes into sort of full swing in the next few months as things open up here, uh, and that's definitely a conversation we're having with lots of customers now, um, that is their fear. It's like, well, how are these things going to link together? How are they going to work? So they've kind of got familiar with how platforms work. They've got familiar with how to maybe deliver the content and to engage their, their sponsors. But they've now got this new fear of, oh, my God, how does this all link? Now, it is not difficult at all. Uh, we try and break it down really simply for the customer. Say, right, your live event, you've got a uh, – you, you normally record the video, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, brilliant. So all that we do is just take an extra stream out so that will go to the app and to the web platform. And as soon as you tell them how simple it is, they're like, oh, that's not difficult then, is it? It's like, no, but you won't be doing it and we won't be doing it. The AV team on site will be doing it. So all you need to make sure is you've got a team that know what they're doing. And there's, you know, we work with a number of different AV partners. And as Philip said earlier, we've delivered some of the streaming stuff ourselves now, which is nothing we set out to do. It's just customers are going we need this and we don't know how to do it. We haven't got the team. We haven't got the experience to do it. And we've, uh, we've scaled up our team to do it. Yeah. And I think, I think in the real life uh, world, as you said, Adam, you know, it's a live event, you know, whether it's a, a, a B2B show, whether it's live theater, whether it's, you know, a, a gig you're going to see, it has to happen at time. It has to happen on that day. It has to happen within a few minutes of the start and end time because of whatever, you know, expectations are set. And it should be no different when we're into this hybrid world. And I think there's a lot of, there's a lot of uh, different ways they can do it, but having and that I think it's, support um, is key. It's so, um, a number of conversations we've had where people have gone virtual and they go, yep, so we're gonna put on a virtual event. Um, we've had to get rid of, or they've got rid of half my team or three quarters of my team. You know, we've been so hard hit as an industry. Um, we've got with three quarters of my team. So, you know, I have to deliver it. And you're thinking, but the work you have to do is as much three times as much you weren't building the stand as oliver said you weren't doing you know you weren't doing all of that so Mm. actually you break down to what you were doing comms organization you're basically doing the same amount of work but you've got half the number of people and 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 you you, where you you hit the nail on the head adam is 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 people are starting to realize that a bit more and saying well actually we'll just get by the time we've gone backwards and forwards you may as well have helped us populate you may as well have helped us get everything ready to go and you know, for the for the sake of a relatively small cost, we might as well just do that rather than 
you know, I'm already working 18 hours on the lead up to it. I can't, we just can't get it in anymore. We're going to have a better experience if we do that. Yeah, yeah. And I think I'm crazy themselves. many people made that mistake of to cut costs, let's deal with it ourselves. That saves us money. And then maybe those individuals have actually been taken, that time has been taken away from actually making money for the organization by yep. selling more sponsorships, selling more content, selling more exhibitors, because they, 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 people can't do more than you know two or three things at, at once well and i think there's always a, there's always the chance to to have an element of unforeseen kind of what's the word it, it, it's it, something's been taken away but you're not quite got that foresight on it until after the event and it's been realized that well we spent all this time actually getting this event ready we forgot to you know upsell our customers or, or talk to this invite the delegates <laughs> yeah invite the delegates exactly interestingly though and, and we've just touched upon hybrid. I think this is a question on everybody's of everybody's mind: is what does hybrid look like? But what what content formats do you think we'll see kind of go away as we transition back to to a physical event industry as well? Yeah, so I think it's a good it's a good question because. I, the traditional sort of content that will carry on, obviously, is the you know the on-stage stuff. You know, will what happens in the situation where you've got two presenters? You know, we're doing this chat now. What happens if me and you are live down at Event Tech Live, Adam and and Phil for whatever reason can't be there? So there's technological um, uh, things we can that can be done. So Phil can appear on a screen or, or what have you. Um, but I think it's I think the really key content we talked about. Um, Roundtables and uh, breakout sessions, things earlier. I think organisers will probably. I think it would be difficult to do those uh, in terms of physical and virtual. I think what they'll probably look to do is have two versions of of, of those things. So you'll have a a one that's live and a one that's uh, online, perhaps. Um, I think it will be a bit disjointed um, if they try and do it all at once. And I think that's where the event no longer is one, two, three days. I think it becomes maybe two, three days of live and then a couple of days of, of online beyond that, whilst it's also happening at the same time online as well for people. Um, I think that the numbers of live people might go down, uh, the people that are in person. I think, therefore, you've got to try and make the content mimic the online content. So try and keep it to that 20, 30 minute um, uh, sort of piece. Um, keep them interesting, keep them, you know, as Phil said earlier, the fireside chats and things work uh, really well because they're engaging rather than just one person presenting. Um, I think I think those sorts of things will stay. Um, I think the things that will be, will disappear is if people don't have the platform in place to do it. So, uh, you know, we, we show if someone's in person or someone's virtual on the app. So if, uh, if, if Philip was virtual now and I was in the live environment, we can still set up a, a one-to-one meeting, but we probably wouldn't do it on the event days. We'd probably do it outside of the event days. So it's keeping the platforms open. Um, it's keeping the comms open. It's explaining to people what it means and what it can do because it is going to be a little bit different to people. Um, Phil, have you got? Yeah, I think you've got a mix, right? You've got hi hybrid isn't just some people who attend and some people who don't, no. right? It's... I could attend then want to consume some con you know we did with, with this, this large association with like 18 concurrent streams over three days the best feedback um from the people there compared to a physical event and obviously they they like their physical event because it's a chance to to meet up and have a drink and and, and speak with colleagues 
But the, the big win was the fact that with so many events, people had to pick the one they went to. There were so many, you, know, you attended a tiny proportion of the events. So the fact they could then go backwards and, and, and watch again on demand. And I don't think you're going to have, it's not just, oh, they're going to be virtual delegates or they're going to be physical delegates. It's that I can be a physical delegate and then go back and and, um, and explore yeah. virtually. Um, I think for someone like you, Adam, who's looking for packages without, um, you know, and, and ways to do it, it's a way to dress it, you know, when you're sort of panicking on the phone and coming up with the frankincense uh, package that uh, includes all this extra inventory, you know, it, it, that there's much more for people to, to go at um, in terms of inventory for, for, for sponsors. Um, and I think the, 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 I think Ollie's touched on the types of content, so I won't, I won't go over that again. But I think the other thing is we might well be in a world, the one thing COVID's taught us is we can't predict anything, mm -hmm. right? As soon as you think you're through it, you know, look at India that only like eight weeks ago was declaring uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, victory over COVID now in the situation they're in. You can have a situation where even some delegates could be attending your event and then suddenly they can't. You have a negative, you have a test, you have a, you know, you suddenly have a, lat a, a lateral flow test that in, you know, from one of your kids going yeah. to school and suddenly your be physical attendance is out. Yeah. You could be a keynote speaker. You could just be someone who was coming, you know, a, a real, you can still then get some experience of that. Uh, event remotely um, yeah. it's not just a, I can't go um, you, you, and, and, and as an event organizer you're sort of enabling yourself to have that backup mm. uh, I, I know, wonder it, I wonder from a content strategy and this is only coming to me while we've been we've been speaking about this this is not the strategy that we have we won't charge you for the advice <laughs> <laughs> oh there's, there's there's equal amounts of advice that have exchanged there Alex. um <laughs> Just thinking about it, you know, and you, you rightly said, like, maybe there's a there's a smaller number of people that, that come to a physical event. And before COVID, everybody was worried, wasn't, weren't they, about that, that, that um, attrition of an audience if we put mm. this content available online. I think yeah. that will still exist for many because there'll be even more pressure on bringing people into an, into an exhibit hall, that kind of stuff. But now I wonder, actually, if what we'll see is, let's say, free online content, two or three days of online content, Mm -hmm. Actually, initially, some uh, stripped back. Um, so maybe go from three or four stages to two stages at the physical event. That saves the organizers some money because they've been yeah. able to support the rest of the content online. So it's yeah. not that they've, they're have they doing less content. It's just they're doing less physical content. Yeah. More emphasis on that physical content being keynote. And you get access to that physical content in two ways. You either turn up and mm -hmm. you access it for free. Or you can pay to access it online as additional yeah. premium content, mm -hmm. and that kind of I think maybe balances things out because the free content will draw an audience in online, mm -hmm. so the exhibit sponsors still get yeah. the value. It will mm -hmm. still drive audience to the physical event because, well, if I can turn up, I can get access mm -hmm. to this for nothing, and I might be there for other stuff. Yeah, yeah. And if I can't, if I can't make it to the event, is this content of value enough for me to hand over some some pounds, some dollars, mm -hmm. or whatever to get access to that, as well as on demand? And you know, I don't think anybody can argue that from a from an, a, a knowledge um, share or a, a knowledge acquisition point of view, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 pounds for mm -hmm. for access to that content is probably not unreasonable, especially when. For me, from Manchester, it's a it's a hundred quid plus just to get on a train to go to an event in London. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, so in terms of value, and then being able to share that with maybe a wider mm. team and them get access to that content and stuff like that as well. 
And maybe that's how some people will slice that content. So the the the, the in physical is still kept as that premium, mm. you know, top end. This is where the real top quality content is. Yeah. And here are your options. It's already starting to happen with some of the you know online, just the virtual event customers that we have, where they they you know have their core. Uh, free to view content where it's you know it's gated but it's past past your details and then they have a you know an enhanced package to access other types of content it just doesn't show uh, or it might show a preview until they you know uh, will will pay up so i think there's opportunities there which then obviously um it's something that sponsors can use some exhibitors can use oh well we can give you so many passes as part of a you know package um it could, i think there's there's also you know we we look at how we engage with customers and we're you know we're a very human personal organization you know we don't have uh, we're not a, a huge vc back business we are a privately owned business and you know we build what we think is right to build for our customers and i think we genuinely care like how we look after them which is you know back to that earlier point about the sort of the service and people charging the service we do is a time you know there is that that time cost so it's physical human cost but you know if it's a virtual support person, you literally do have that one-on-one. -on -one. It's not one to ten or whatever yeah. like that I see out there. Poor yeah. because I think that's a bad experience. But you know, we very much we found it harder to get to people than virtually ourselves. So as, as your um, uh, with your press out on Adam, you know, as you reported, we we started taking people on locally around the world to get to those people because, and it's not because we necessarily need people. Yeah, because it like, looks good or anything. It's because we believe that they're going to give the best service. We believe because they're local people, they speak the language, they uh, understand the nuances with the, the, the local events industry, um, whether that's corporate or B2B or, or B2C, whatever it might be, that that's our best way to carry on that service. And I think content, obviously, we think is key from our platform point of view, but then that's got to be coupled with delivering the service and experience because, as you said, Adam, you know, we want them to keep coming back and back and back. Now, we'd love to do what uh, some of our competitors do and sign people into three, five, seven-year agreements that whether the service is good or bad, you're kind of stuffed. But that's not our way. We we want people to stay with us a long time, but without being strong-armed into it, we want them to go, well, yeah, the, it was easy for our delegates to get to the content. Yeah, our uh, exhibitors had a good time because they enjoyed the content and they came back and all oh, we had a thousand more registrations than we would if it was live because and they were in these different countries because they can't travel and i think all of that drives the engagement and drives um uh, you know for us rebooks obviously is as you you would have a, a, a your event you know you want people to rebook and if they've had a good show the, the exhibitors like to rebook so i think yeah i think all that's going to play a massive part into what happens next uh with hybrid we'll have to see how it plays out eh you know, it's, 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 it'll be an interesting time. And I think just as just as events are, just to finish off, you know, people will dice and slice it in various different ways. I think some will keep very traditional and try and, you know, have it very close to previous existing kind of packages and way of funding things and that kind of stuff. And I think there'll be some, you know, wildly innovative kind of organizations and individuals out there that really come at it from a different angle, you know, could we see events come out, which is you apply as an exhibitor to see if you can exhibit, mm -hmm. but then the relationship is more of a partnership and a lead generation and a, and a, you, you pay maybe a fee for the number of leads that you get that are quantitative and, and qualified. 
and a percentage, a small percentage of deals that come out of the back end of it. For, for some industries, for some individuals, that could be extremely lucrative. Mm-hmm. And it works in other parts of the world, doesn't it? We, you know, affiliate marketing is a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar business. And that is essentially individuals or people marketing a brand online to an audience that then put sales to it. Yeah. Are virtual events that different? No, they're just mm-hmm. a mechanism to put something in front of an audience that's relevant. Yeah. Ultimately, with somebody getting a sale or something out of it, out the back of it. So maybe we'll even see that ways, and then it's 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 relatively low risk for the exhibitor, high reward for the for the organizer. But they're going to be very analytical on who they let through that yeah. door to represent mm. their their event and be a part of it because they're not going to want somebody who's a bit shady or a bit dodgy kind of participating in that. And, and I think there's a mindset as well, right? If you're charging as an organizer, it, you know, if you know that content's being charged or that. I think your mindset's going to be a little bit different. You know, there's a value to it. You've got to prove a value. Everything you do to approach has to yeah. has to have that within it, as opposed to, oh, I've got five hours of free content to fill. Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah, very true, very true. Guys, this has been fantastic content. Um, we could probably go on for and do a do a three hour Joe Rogan podcast on it, but I know you guys are, are super <laughs> busy delivering people's virtual events and talking to them about their hybrid stuff. But for anybody listening, if they do want to reach out and go and check out what Venue IQ are up to and, and talk about their events, Oliver, where's the best place for them to, to kind of contact you? Yeah, so they can uh, uh, go to straight to our website, which is www.venue, without an E, so V-E-N-U-IQ.com, or they can email us at hello at venue-iq.com. Um, awesome. So there you go. We'll put those details in, in the show notes. Oliver, Phil, thank you very much for coming on today. Um, everybody that's listened to this podcast or watched please do give this a share if you found it relevant and you think your network would find it relevant please do go after and connect it with Oliver and Phil and the rest of their team they're a fantastic company and they're really doing some innovative things with the tech platforms and tech solutions that they have on offer and we'll see you in the next one